Amen. Will it be my joy if you would join me in Luke chapter 19? Luke chapter 19. This is the last sermon from Luke until the new year. And we're coming to the place where Jesus and his disciples are right on, uh, right coming into Jerusalem. They're right outside of Jerusalem in Jericho. And we hear this last parable. So we want to hear this as people who, just like the disciples, are thinking about Christ entering in to the final week, the final week of his life where he's headed towards the cross. And I think it would be good for our hearts this morning if we would hear this story, this parable, not like this is a classroom where we're listening to a lesson or a seminar, but that we would listen to this, that we would have ears to hear this like we're sitting in the throne room of Christ. Christ, our King, who, who is saying these words to our very hearts. And so we hear this story with, in that way. Luke 19, verse 11 said, As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem... And because they suppose that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minutes. And he said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your minna has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you, have author you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your minna has made five minutes. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your minna, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words. You wicked servant, you knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the minna from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these, mena, these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would give us eyes of servants, hearts of of servants, Lord, that we might fear you as our king rightly, but that, Lord, we might not just serve you with fear, but that, Lord, we would serve you 
with gladness. Lord, that we would rejoice with trembling this morning. As we see our King, as we hear from your voice, as we hear your word to us, Lord, I pray that you would help us, humble us under your lordship, under your kingship, that we might, Lord, live lives of faithfulness, that we might hold everything in our lives, even our very lives with loose hands, that we might use them for your glory. Lord, I have no hope in my words, but I have complete hope in your words. And I ask, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would not just hear the King this morning, but that, Lord, we would see you and that we would serve you with glad hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is it. The time has come. The moment we've been waiting for. Can you believe it? Do you know what that sound is? That's the sound of great expectations. That's the sound of a heart or a soul that's filled with great hope. That's what it sounds like to get your hopes up. Maybe it's the moment on Christmas morning, right, when you're about to run to the tree, there's a sense of expectations. Maybe it's right before you turn on a big championship game that your favorite team that you've been following is about to play in. Maybe it's the moment right before the, the doors open and your beautiful bride is going to walk down the aisle. We've all had these moments of great expectation, great hopes of what is to come. This is what's happening in the hearts of the disciples on that road to Jerusalem. There's been so much talk about the coming kingdom, and, and they believe that they are traveling with the one, the, the Messiah, the one that they had been hoped for, the coming king. And the next stop on the map the next stop on the itinerary is they are about to enter in to Jerusalem. And Jesus knows what's going on in their hearts. Jesus knows the disciples' hearts are filled with false expectations about the coming king. And you know what expectations are. Ex expectations are resentments waiting to happen. That's what an expectation is. And so Jesus tells this parable. Look at verse 11. He says he tells this parable because they're about to enter Jerusalem and because they suppose that the kingdom of God was about to appear immediately. They're supposing they're about to enter into Jerusalem. And when they enter into Jerusalem, the kingdom is coming because the king is with them. And so Jesus, this morning, wants to reorder their expectations, reorder their hearts around what his kingdom is all about. And he wants to do the same for us this morning. He wants to reorder our expectations, that we might be ready to serve the king with gladness, to rejoice over our king, Jesus. If you could hear the disciples' hearts as they're walking along the road, it would be, this is it. We are about to go. We're about to go and receive power. 
The, the time has come. We're about to reign over Jerusalem. We're about to throw over, overthrow the Romans. This is the moment we've been waiting for. This is the moment we've been waiting for. This is about the same time that James and John would say, would say Hey, Jesus, do you mind when we get into the kingdom that we can sit on your left and we can sit on your right? You can hear their expectation. We are expecting to ride into Jerusalem, to ascend the hill, to sit on a throne with the king. He has come. What are your expectations this morning for the kingdom of Christ? You know, our expectations might not be that far off from the disciples. Are your expectations for your Christian life to be a life of comfort? To be a life of ease? To have a life of, of power or possessions? To be a life where, where you're noticed by people? To be impressive? What, what are you expecting in the kingdom? Well, this morning, the Messiah, King Jesus, teaches us this parable and he teaches this parable about the time between his first coming, the incarnation and his life on the earth, and the second coming when Jesus will come again. It's a parable about between the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the return of Jesus Christ. So here's what he's talking about. He's talking about right now. He's talking about today. He's talking about where you are right now seated. And he wants to reorder our expectations. He doesn't want to lower your expectations about the kingdom. He wants to reorder your expectations, reorder your life around himself, around King Jesus. And this is the first thing we learn from the story. The king wants you to engage in the kingdom. The king wants you, longs for you, desires that your life would be used to be a part of his kingdom. Jesus tells this final story before, uh, about, before he enters Jerusalem about a nobleman and his ten servants. And I believe he talks about ten servants because this is about all the servants of the king. He doesn't say twelve. He's not talking about just the twelve disciples. He's talking about all Christians. And in this story, the nobleman gives ten minas out to ten servants, one minna for each servant. Did you bring a minna with you here this morning? Exactly. You don't have a clue what I'm talking about. I have to look up this kind of stuff, too. A minna is not something that you put on your fishing hook. Um, a minna was worth about 100 denarii. And a denarius is one day's wage. So think about this. Jesus gives them four months of wages. Jesus is giving each servant basically a small business loan. The, the king, the nobleman, he gives them a, the same size to each person. And that's a little different than the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Because in the parable of the talents, each servant, if you remember, they're given a different amount. One servant gets five talents, another servant gets three, another servant gets one, and 
Someone interpret, some people interpret that story as we have different gifts. We have different talents, different money, different abilities that we all have to steward to the Lord. Well, in this story, each servant is given the same. Each servant is given one minna. Each one of us is given one life to steward for the glory of God. One life that you get to steward for the glory of God. And this is what the nobleman, the, the king, this is what he tells to each servant when he gives them one minute. He says this, engage in business until I come. It says that in verse 13, engage in business until I come. Let me translate that for you. Be faithful with all that I've given you until the day you see my face. That's the Lord's desire for each one of us, whether you're 80, whether you're 25, whether you're 10, whether you're six, God's desire, the reason he created you, the reason you have breath right now is that you would be faithful with all that the Lord has given you until the day you see his face. The call for every Christian, everyone listening, engage in his kingdom. Don't be passive. Don't be reluctant. Don't hold back. Don't hesitate. Don't put off until tomorrow when faithfulness calls for today. Engage. Get busy. Whatever you do, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for his glory, for his pleasure until the day that you see his smiling face. The word engage reminds me of the movie The Incredibles. Anybody like the movie The Incredibles? It's a great movie. If you remember that movie at all, you remember the dinner table scene. Remember the moms asking the kids about school, trying to find out how their days are going, and the kids just start like arguing, yelling at each other. They're like fighting each other over the table. And the mom's trying her best trying her best with her go-go gadget arms to play referee. That, some of y'all are like, this is like a video of the dinner table at my house. And where is the superhero dad? Well, the scene shows him in the other room reading the newspaper. And what does the mom yell out? The mom yells, it's time to engage it's time to engage. See, Bob, the dad, he's busy being faithful everywhere but the one place that he needs to be faithful the most. This superhero dad is busy engaging the, cit the citizens of his city while he's missing his family. And for some of us, maybe the Holy Spirit needs to just Use this to speak to our hearts today for this right, this very thing. Engage. Engage in your home. The Lord wants you to be faithful in your home. Listen to what David Mathis writes. He says this, One of the greatest needs wives and children have 
And all the more in our relentlessly distracting age is dad's countercultural attentiveness. Dad's countercultural attentiveness. The Lord's calling you to engage in his home, but, but Christ's fellowship, bigger than that, zoom out to your life in this world. It's time to engage. It's time for each one of us to engage. Where, let me ask you, where is the king calling you to be faithful in his kingdom? Like, where are the places that he wants you to engage for his greater glory and others' greater joy? Like, what are the things in your life that you possess that he has entrusted to you that, that you should steward? Not for yourself, not just for what you want, but for what the Lord wants. Where's the Lord wanting you to invest your one life, intentionally sharing this one gospel for the glory of Jesus the King? This is the one word that captures Jesus' expectations for your life. If you need one word from Jesus, it's this, faithful. Be faithful. Listen, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 4.2. He says, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. It's required of stewards that, he, that they be found faithful. That means if you possess anything, it's a gift from the Lord, and that gift was given so that you might be faithful to bring him glory. So does the Lord Jesus find you faithful? That's, that's all that matters. That's what life is about, is being found faithful. Not that people find you funny. Not that people find you impressive. Not that people find you interesting. Not that people find you special. Not that people find you attractive or successful. Not that people find you talented or creative or productive or awesome or better than them. No, does the Lord find you faithful? Does the Lord find you faithful? That should be the desire of our hearts the day I see Jesus' face. I just want to hear, well done, good servant, he says. You have been faithful. Well done, good servant. You have been faithful. One of the greatest roadblocks probably for all of us right now is these words, I'm so busy. How many times did you say that this week alone, right? You don't understand. I'm just so busy. I have to work late. I have to keep the house in order. I got to mow the lawn. got to decorate the Christmas tree. I got to do my hobbies, I got to keep up with my team, got to play travel ball, I have a new season of, of sh a show just dropped on Netflix, I got to comment like on every Instagram post that my friend posts, got to respond to every email, I'm, I'm just so busy. I love what one pastor told me, he said, you don't have enough time to do everything that you want to do. You don't even have enough time to do what everybody else wants you to do. 
but you always have enough time to do the Lord's will. You always have enough time to do the Lord's will. Listen, the king is giving you plenty of time to make an impact in his kingdom. Every single one of us, he is giving you enough time that you might make an impact in the kingdom for his glory. So how are you engaging his kingdom today? It's it's not a one-size-fits-all. There's a million ways that we can impact his kingdom, a hundred different ways that you can bring him glory in this room. Maybe it's as a missionary, as a police officer, as a shop owner, as a salesman, a pastor, a nurse, a teacher, a dentist, a student, a factory worker, a campus minister, a homeschool mom. Here's all you have to do. Just look down at your feet. And wherever you are, the Lord is wanting you to be intentional and make an impact, not so you can be impressive, but so the King Jesus can be impressive. So that people's eyes are drawn to Jesus wherever you are. Wherever you are, you can do that. You can do that today, and the Lord wants you to make an impact in this church for his kingdom. But at work on Monday, in your neighborhood, on an evening this week, look down at your feet, and the Lord has you there that you might make Jesus look beautiful. I guess one thing's for sure is that if if you can't do it for God's glory, you shouldn't do it. It's another good test, right? I might have just freed up hours of your week where we can maybe turn off some of those shows and turn off, put the phone down for a second to make an impact for the kingdom. There's a million ways we can fulfill this call to engage the kingdom, to faithfully steward your life, to intentionally engage those around you with the gospel, to spread the joy of Jesus. Not only in our city, not only on the campus, of Western Kentucky University, but to the ends of the earth, Jesus deserves the glory of all peoples. See where the king is working and engage in the kingdom. Second thing, though, is the king wants to entrust you with more. We see this in the story. Jesus says this nobleman, this king, comes back to his servants, and he wants to evaluate what they've done with their minna. Look at verse 15. He says he's going to see what they've done, and it says this, what they had gained by doing business. So not only does the Lord expect faithfulness from his servants, the Lord expects fruitfulness. Maybe not how others define fruitfulness. Maybe not how you want to define fruitfulness. But Jesus says in John 15, if you abide in me, And my words abide in you. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So the first man he comes to now has 10 minutes. That's a big increase. That's a a 1,000% increase. So it's like the king gave him Four months, maybe it's $25,000, $20,000, and he says, hey, I have $250,000 to show for it since you've been gone. 
Same thing with the second guy. He gives him two, or gives him, shows him five minutes. That's a 500% increase. And what's Jesus' response in verse 17? Well done, good servant. You have been faithful. Now, again, this is not a story about money. So don't leave here saying, like, Lance talked about, like, the prosperity gospel. He was, like, saying, sow a seed and you'll get a thousand percent increase from it. Like, I didn't, you didn't hear that today. But the Lord is calling us to be good stewards of everything. And that is including our money and our breath and our talents and our gifts and everything that we have. It's not ours. We can't touch it and say it's mine. No, it's the Lord's. So here's the principle from this parable. The Lord sees the faithfulness of his servants And the Lord loves to entrust more to those servants that he sees trustworthy. The Lord sees your faithfulness to the king, and he loves to entrust more to those servants who are found trustworthy. Because we see the opposite, don't we, in verse 20, with the last servant who says, Lord, uh, here's your one minna that you've given me, which I laid away in a handkerchief covered it up in a safe place. This is, that's what he's saying. He's saying, I didn't engage. I played it safe. I, I did nothing. What does Jesus do? Well, he gives this minna to the man who ha- has 10. And the people are shocked by, by it, right? This is, this is not the rich getting richer. So before you like get out your phone and tweet about you know, Jesus is all about the one percenters and helping them out. Like, no, this is not what he's, he's saying at all. The king joyfully entrusts more to those who show themselves trustworthy. Joyfully entrusts more to those whose heart, whose life, their whole disposition is about bringing King Jesus glory. See, as we study the book of Luke, as we Put these stories together, the the stories of the rich ruler, the stories of Zacchaeus, the the stories of the ten minas. We start seeing the way of the kingdom. We start seeing the way of the kingdom clearly, and this is it. Being a follower of Jesus means being willing to let go of everything for the glory of Jesus and always wanting to use everything for the glory of Jesus. It's both things. We're willing to let go of anything for Jesus. And we want to use everything in our lives for the glory of Jesus. It's a heart that says, all I have is from Jesus. And all I have is for Jesus. And when I live this way, when I engage this way, the Lord says, well done, good servant. You have been faithful with a little. I want to give you more. So this morning, are you being safe with what the Lord has given you? Or are you stewarding it all for the glory of God? Are you sitting on his gifts, his gospel, his very breath that he's given you? Or are you being intentional? Let me encourage you that whatever you keep 
you will really lose. Whatever you seek for yourself, you will never really gain. But what you use for the Lord's glory, you will rejoice in for all eternity. If you just bank your life on that truth, if I steward my life for the glory of God, for the goodness of God, so that people might see Jesus, I will not be disappointed, but I will be able to celebrate with him for all eternity. You know, sometimes I feel like we hold back because we think the Lord holds back. We hold back because we think the Lord won't come through. We feel like the Lord will not be faithful to us once we've been faithful to him. But all we have to do is look to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave heaven's favorite for us. The gospel displays that you will never outgive God. You will never outgive God. That God is the greatest giver and will always be the greatest giver. He has not held back his best for you. If we give our lives unto him, he is a good and faithful king to us. The last thing I want us to see in the story that Jesus wants us to see is the king wants you to serve him. Maybe even more specifically, the king wants you to want to serve him. He wants you to want to serve him. See, how you see King Jesus determines if you will serve him and how you will serve him. How you see King Jesus determines if you will serve him and how you will serve him as king. Notice what the servant said who did nothing in verse 20 and 21. He says this, Lord, here's your minna, which I've kept away in a handkerchief. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. This last servant says, I was afraid of you. I was afraid of you. He did not trust the heart of the king. He might have feared the king. He might have been scared of the king. But he missed that the king was good. He missed that the king was just. He missed that the king was gracious, that the king was generous with all he had. He missed the heart of the king. And this nobleman, the king says, if you, if you thought I was severe, I'm going to hold you to your own words. You could have at least put it in the bank. It would at least gain some interest sitting in the bank. And he takes this minna and he gives it to another. And then in verse 26, he says, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Again, this trustworthy king is willing to give to those who are trustworthy, willing to give those more to those who, who, is, who are faithful what they've been entrusted with. Listen, it's, it's not that the last servant feared the Lord and that the other servants didn't fear him. 
Don't take that away from this story. It's not that the last servant feared the Lord and the other servants didn't fear him. It's that he feared the Lord wrongly and they feared the Lord rightly. This last servant feared the Lord wrongly and and these other servants feared the Lord rightly. See, the last servant feared the king because of what the king might do. But the other servants feared the king because of who he is. Because he's worthy. They feared the king because he is the worthy king. He's the worthy king and he deserves all the glory. He deserves all of my life. This is the joyful servants of joyful servants. They trust themselves to the good and gracious king who always does good. They trust their very lives to the joyful, good, and gracious king who always does what is good. It's like the little boy who was out playing with his friends one day, and his friends wanted to go throw rocks through the window of an old house. But he didn't want to go. He said, no, I I don't want to do that. And his friends started to poke fun at him, and they said, hey, He's just afraid of what his daddy will do to him. And the little boy responded, no, I'm afraid of what I might do to my dad. See, the boy wasn't worried about the consequences. The boy was worried about his father's honor. About honoring his father. And and when we are overwhelmed By the king, when we see him rightly, we will fear him rightly. We won't be paralyzed by fear like that last servant. No, we will serve the Lord with fear. We will serve the Lord with gladness. You know, there's an Old Testament passage that brings us all together, that calls everyone to serve the king rightly. It's it's Psalm 2. And at the end of Psalm 2, this is what it says. At the end of Psalm 2, beginning in verse 10, it says this. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. See, this was a coronation psalm. This this psalm would be read at the crowning of the king of Jerusalem. The crowning of the king who would ascend the hill in Jerusalem. Who would take the throne in Jerusalem. And, And this is what the disciples' hearts have been waiting for. Psalm 2 had filled their hearts with great expectation of this king that was to come. And here they are headed in Jerusalem and their hearts are welling up within them saying, this is it. The time has come. This is the moment we've been waiting for. The king is going to ascend the hill. The king is headed to the throne. Can you believe it? However, Jesus is not headed to Jerusalem to usher in the kingdom the way that they think he is. 
He's not going to ascend the hill to the throne. He would ascend a hill to a cross. And he was not coming to wear a crown of gold. No, he was going to come to have a crown of thorns pierced into his skull. He was not going to bring wrath on sinners. Those who were unfaithful, those who did not follow. No, he was coming to have the wrath of God poured out on himself. To bear the Father's wrath in the unfaithful's place. In your place and in my place. Our great hope today is not in our faithfulness. No, our great hope is that the coming king is the Savior King. He's the Savior King who died so that unfaithful people, unfaithful sinners like you and me, could become faithful servants. If we'll just repent of our sins and trust in Him, if we will just turn from our unfaithfulness and run to our faithful Savior, King, the the Lord gives us the joy of serving the Lord with fear and rejoicing with trembling. So that's the invitation of this passage. Come all ye unfaithful. Come all ye unfaithful to Christ. Sinners, weary, desperate, those who are longing for a Savior, those who are longing for deliverance, those who want to know, to to see the glory of Christ, those who want to be with Christ. It's not to leave here today and see, how can I be faithful, but to turn your eyes to the faithful one. To turn your eyes to the faithful king. Because Christ was born. Christ died. Christ has risen. And Christ is coming again. So brothers and sisters, we read the invitation today in our passage. We read the opportunity for each and every one of us this morning. At the end of our passage in verse 27, it says this, but as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. He says there's a judgment coming. There's a judgment coming for those who are unfaithful, but... Here's the judgment. Here's what keeps you outside of Christ, the King, the refuge that you were created for. They did not want me to reign over them. That's the invitation. Do you want Christ to reign over? Do you want your Savior King to be your King, to reign over you, to, to repent of serving yourself? Repent of trying to be king and to run and throw yourselves on King Jesus. They did not want me to reign over them. The other invitation, if you you want Christ to reign over you, is found again in Psalm 2. Serve the Lord with fear. 
and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. You know, at the end, there will not be refuge from King Jesus. But there will be refuge in King Jesus. So run to Christ. That Christ would reign over your life. That you might say, God, my Savior King, all of my life I want to live for the glory of your name. Let's pray together. Father, we ask, oh Lord, that you would help us this morning. That you would help each and every heart, Lord, that, that we would turn from chasing our sin, turn from trying to reign over our own lives, turn from trying to be king ourselves, and that we would run to King Jesus. We would run to a Savior King who went to a cross in our place, who bore the punishment that we deserved in our place. And who three days later rose again victoriously that we might serve you now with gladness. That, that we might rejoice with trembling. That all our lives, Lord, might be engaged in your kingdom for your glory. So, Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts of each and every one of us in this room. Lord, we, we don't bank our hope on our faithfulness. But Lord, I pray you would turn every heart to the faithful one. By the power of your spirit, that you would turn our eyes to the King of kings and Lord of lords who would come not just to ascend to a throne, but to take a cross in our place. That we might now repent of our sins, trust in him, and rejoice in him, our refuge, forever. And might live for him, for the glory of his name. Lord, we pray this. In Jesus' name, amen.